Lord, we thank you for your word, and as we go to your word today, we do so with a sense of anticipation and a sense of receptivity. We open our spiritual ears to hear and to guard our hearts against the, uh, I've heard that before, but to receive fresh revelation on a familiar topic that will jettison us forward into the purposes for your kingdom. So we do. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're familiar with the day of Pentecost and a crowd gathers. The gospel is preached. The first sermon in the Bible outside of Jesus' teaching. They've just spent 40 days with him. They've had the kingdom principles firmly engrafted into their life. And the people are convicted. They cry out, what shall we do? And Peter replies and says, repent, change your mind, metanoia, change direction. What was dead religion is going to be coming living reality. But you're going to have to change your mind about some things. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Woo! Those who accepted this message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's quite an altar call. Are we ready for 3,000? Now, we have heard a lot about repentance. We've heard a lot about being added to the church. We uh, hope to continue in this series a little bit into the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But notice with me that Peter doesn't just say to them, repent, and you'll receive the forgiveness. He doesn't just say, repent, and you'll be filled with the Spirit. He says, repent and be baptized. And he was taking his highlights from Jesus' instructions to them to go make disciples of all nations in Matthew 28, baptizing them, not just making converts, not just making believers, but discipling them, baptizing them. He didn't just say make disciples. He said baptize them. And then his life's ministry began at a place where he went down to the Jordan where John was baptizing and it says that John said, I should be baptized by you. And Jesus said, let us fulfill all righteousness. Imagine pure righteousness saying, we're going to fulfill all righteousness. What an intriguing comment that is. Because Jesus was looking forward to people who would be baptized into him. And he became sin that they could become righteous. And Jesus in his baptism was saying, this is the beginning of a new creation. I'm not just being baptized for myself. I'm being baptized for Rose. I'm being baptized for Doug. I'm being baptized for Brian. I'm being baptized for Dave. Let us fulfill all righteousness and go down and be baptized. And Peter remembered that. And he said, do you want to know what to do now that I've told you you're a lost, dying generation? 
you got to repent and you have to identify and participate through baptism in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, that's a special day. Come on. Think of the special days in your life. Your wedding, your first child, when the Springboks won by one point, one point, one point. Special days. Do you remember the day of your baptism? I want you to recall it. I want you to smell that chlorine in the pool, or that salt in the Jordan River, or that soap bubbles in the bath, or whatever, wherever you got baptized. Just for a moment, Jesus transcended time at his baptism when he said, I have to do this for the sake of righteousness. We are included in his baptism. And in that baptism, we walk through death, burial, and resurrection. I want you to remember that day. Because since then, you've heard a lot about renewing the mind. You've learned a lot about what Jesus' finished work on the cross did. And that will be the message we continue to preach. But at your baptism, something significant happened. You transcended time and entered into the baptism of Jesus. Read with me. So Jesus at his inauguration, Jesus' last words. Jesus going into ministry through the water, Jesus calling on us to make disciples, baptizing them. Romans chapter 6. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. It began there in participation with him in his baptism. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly be united with him in his resurrection. Your funeral has come and gone. You went from death into life. You passed from old into new when you participated in your baptism and you were co-crucified and your sin was broken off you and you were co-buried and co-resurrected and even co-ascended, the Bible says, we are seated on the right hand of the majesty of heaven. This wasn't just something symbolic. Now, so much of our Christianity has become symbolic. So we'll pass the wine and the bread around because it's just symbolic. Or, or we'll, we'll sing a few songs and, and just symbolic. And we'll, we'll go, you know, keep a Bible on our bookshelf because it's just symbolic. There's nothing symbolic about those things, they're powerful. Your baptism wasn't just symbolic. Your baptism 
was a spiritual immersion into the new creation who is Christ. And it says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin may be done away with. We should no longer live as slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been free from sin. Sin is no longer your master. Sin is no longer held over you. Sin, you don't suffer under the power of sin or the punishment of sin. Sin has been, you've been set free. And now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will live with him. Hey, my friend, that's not just talking about the day you go to the grave in the body. You're going to have a funeral. People are going to gather around. They're going to say all the nice things about you that they didn't say when you were living. They're going to bring flowers. and You know, they, they're going to have little speeches. I'm like, hey, give me, the, give me the gifts while I'm living and say the nice things while I'm living. Leave me alone when I die. I died 35 years ago when I went into the water. And I was co-buried. And I was co-resurrected. But we have weddings because we, we hurt. And our loved ones go. And we mourn. And we should. And it's human. And it's natural. But, but your resurrection in Christ took place long before that. And finally, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Who cannot die again? And who else? Oh, glad you got that. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In a similar way. In a symbolic way. In a kind of pretend way. In the same way. Count yourselves dead to the old nature, and alive to Christ. That's not a rocket science. You just go back to that place where you were baptized and say there something supernatural happened. Right there and then, the enemy lost his power to point his finger of accusation at me ever again. And when I do stupid things, I'll own up to it and I'll tell God I acted like a jerk and my father will set me on a road of reconciliation. But the devil does not have a foothold. Do not give the devil a foothold and do not allow a spirit of deception to begin lying to you where you fall into condemnation and then you try and act your behavior righteously out of that position. My wife says I should say that again. I'll tell you when I get home, sweetie. Soft, softly in your ears. You know, this is good for backslidden Christians to hear as well. Because people who have lost their faith, maybe they got hurt by Christians. It's not very difficult. Maybe they got hurt in a church. That's even less difficult. Maybe they just, you know, were a hurt walking around waiting to manifest. And they've lost their way a bit and they've stumbled along. They've got to be reminded. 
And if they weren't baptized, then number one, why weren't they baptized? If they were, you can only be backslidden if you were slidden, sliding. I mean, you can only be backsliding if you were one sliding. So, so if they were sliding and they weren't baptized, why weren't they baptized? That's quite an important question to answer. If you're a believer and you've turned your life over to Christ and you want to participate in the new creation, you must be baptized. It's not an optional extra. It's not an optional consideration. It's a commandment. Go forth and make disciples, baptizing them. And if they haven't been baptized, what a great opportunity to share the gospel again. The miraculous transaction that took place when we were laid into the water and we were brought up into new life. And this scripture, Romans 6, should be enough to rekindle some of the spark that was once there. I was in Pretoria a few, yeah, Pretoria, where? Dave, Dave Walker. You, you yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, I was up in Pretoria. Dave's working up there at the moment. Anyway, I went out for lunch with a pastor friend of mine up there. And he was telling me he's been into Central Africa and he's been doing huge ministry conferences and leaders, pastors of churches, conferences. And he was doing this one. There were a couple of hundred people and he was ministering. And the Holy Spirit said to him, call for baptism. And he's like, oh, Lord, these are are the guys with networks and churches and Call for baptism. Oh, come on, Lord. I don't treat them like uh, patronizingly. Call for baptism. 60 of the 150 people, leaders, pastors, came forward. What, what, what happened? <laughs> One of them was a good friend of his in Pretoria who goes to a Baptist church. So he said to his friend, he said, really, you've never been baptized? He said, oh, but you know, it's like, you know, yeah, I don't, yeah. okay, let's get over the excuses. I'm going to meet with your pastor. I'm going to want to baptize you at the church in front of the congregation. They organize it. Six other people sign up for the baptism. So the joke is, he goes to his pastor friend in Pretoria and he says, it's so wonderful to see the Baptists baptizing. <laughs> oh, I thought it was funny. But what has happened? Have we kind of got to a place where we've outgrown the importance of clear biblical mandate? I mean, in times of peace, I understand we have to skirt around some issues in Scripture. But in times of conflict, we have to be so anchored. Whether you like it or not, whether I like it or not, whether it's offensive to me or not offensive to me, we go back to the Word and grind our existence back into the Word. In good times, we don't have to major on minors. But in times of conflict, we go to the Word and it becomes our ultimate authority. It says, be baptized. I want to call people here today. If you've never been baptized, why haven't you been baptized? I want to call on people here today who know Christians out there who maybe are or not in church 
and they haven't been baptized. Why haven't they been baptized? Well, there can be some confusion in this regard because baptism doesn't save you, but it's not a symbolic thing. You don't have to wait to be perfect before you're baptized, or else that would have eliminated the whole early church from being baptized. Backslidden Christians need to be challenged to either remember what their baptism signified. You know, people love talking about themselves. I get a chance every Sunday, 30 minutes. But you ask people, so how did you meet? Take a couple out for supper and say, so how did you guys meet? Oh, Lord, the lights just come on. Push! And they walk you through it, and they relive every moment, and they start moving closer together, closer together, and then they're holding hands, and they're telling you about this and telling you about that. Our stories are powerful. And the story of your baptism is powerful. Your marriage wasn't symbolic. And you get together for an anniversary supper once a year to, rem- to remember, to commemorate the symbolic joining together. Man, we, we, we got birthdays. We, we, we should have baptism birthdays. We should remember that something supernatural happened in that moment that is with us for the rest of eternity. A little bit of history lesson will clear up maybe some of the peripheral questions. Jesus is the first example in the history of baptism. The book of Acts will come back to. Post AD, 350 years after the Jesus' resurrection, the canon has been formed, which is your, your Bible. The apostolic fathers had now passed on. They were the, the next generation after Paul and Ta- Timothy and Titus. And the church shifted into a doctrine of sprinkling babies. It was an honest and eager attempt, I believe. It wasn't a deception. It was just... If you read in Colossians, it speaks about our, our, our circ- the circumcision. I think I might even have it in, in my notes. Oh, was it? Was it up? Oh, yeah. So, so in him you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. And this was taken out of its context I've talked about the, the, the law and grace, and it was made as, ah, baptism replaces circumcision. So in the same way, babies were born in a Jewish family, and because you were born in a Jewish family, you are a Jew. You know that. You know the difference between Israelis and Jews, eh? Israelis are the people who live there. There's Christian Israelis, Muslim Israelis, and there's Jewish Israelis. you Jew because you're born a Jew. Or you have to convert, which is a whole process. And there's a snip on the tip and a horrible, don't even, don't go there. No bad pictures. But you have to go through a process to become a a, a Jew. So they did it when they were eight days old. I don't know why, that poor child. I mean, 
heaven's sakes. Well, look, it was, a, it was a coward that entered the covenant. But so the early ref, the, the Christians of around 350, 400 said, that's right. A baby that's born into a Christian family is now deemed Christian. Sprinkle, sprinkle. You are a Christian. Sprinkle, sprinkle. Then that went one step further by the late 800, 900s where the Romans were commissioned by the Pope to go into pagan villages and say, it's the sword or a sprinkle. Have your choice. And they took the sprinkle because the sprinkle, you know. So the sprinkle happens at eight days old. So, so Now, this also happened in the, the, the Western, the Eastern Bloc churches, which is the Greek Orthodox and uh, Constantinople at the time um, and, and, and Armenian uh, culture. They understood, because of the Greek, and they weren't translating from the Latin, they understood that baptism means to immerse. It means to plunge under. Not a little dab will do. So at least the Greek Orthodox Church and the Russian Orthodox Church got it right that they dipped the whole baby under the water. Three times. Oh, never mind. Never. I don't know if you've ever seen that, that picture of that child being baptized in a Greek Orthodox church. Comes up for air and there's a thought bubble. Help! Help! People are trying to drown me and everybody's clapping and they're taking photos of my funeral. Help! Okay, you had to be there. They understood the immersion, the dipping under. The um, Western church uh, didn't even get that much. But then came the next part of history, which was the Reformation. Okay, Reformation, 1500s, 1400s, 1500s. Now we got Calvin comes along, Luther comes along, and they change a whole lot about the gospel, which is justification by faith. But somehow the baptism thing they don't touch. They put it under covenant theology. Still believing that if you're born in a Christian home, if you baptized at birth, at uh, eight days old, you are Christian. You are just supernaturally you know, now. Then this group comes along 150 years later called the Anabaptists, or Baptists as we know them, and they say, hang on, the people that got baptized were people who believed. A baby doesn't have the capacity to believe. Baby will go to heaven anyway, but it doesn't have the capacity to believe. So a huge persecution broke out against them. Do you know that Martin Luther, the great Martin Luther, had thousands of Anabaptists drown? That part of history we leave out. Because only the conquerors write history. But that is fact. Recorded in uh, documents in, in the, the, the Greek Orthodox Church as well. Because they were going to be baptized, Luther said, well, if they're going to enter into this cult, we might as well just hold him under until the bubble stop. Church history is a mess. You ain't seen nothing yet. So the Baptists come and they break through that. And then they infect the whole Pentecostal and out of the Pentecostal, the charismatic and the crazymatic and the crazymatics all started emerging. 
But there came some difference because in one scripture it says those who were baptized in the name of Jesus. So then you got Jesus only. We only baptize. So the whole denomination split. Then you got other people who came and said, you've got to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So the others who were doing it in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there was a big split in the Pentecostal church. So they all went their way and they went their way. I mean, they, they really majored on minus. I mean, like the world's going to hell. And here they are. We... We back at Hatfield, Janet, myself, we hail from there. We were in charge of the baptism service on a Sunday night. We do 10, 20 every Sunday night at Hatfield. And we had a guy that was going to be baptized, and there was another pastor standing in with him, and he'd insisted, the Lord has told me I have to be baptized in the name of the Father, name of the Son, name of the Holy Spirit. So there was a bit of, geez, no, we don't do it like that and do it. No, 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 that I insisted. No, no, no. So one of the pastors, let me go speak to Pastor Ed and see, you know, what his feeling is on that. You know, kind of we want to be honorable to him. You know, he sets the doctrine in the church and he's a Baptist. So, 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 he, so, so let's go consult to them. So, so the guys are in the water now and the pastor's on the stage in their suits, all slightly bent. You look at the, watch the baptisms. So this guy's in the water. But as he goes down to be baptized in the name of the Father, the cameraman walks across and blocks the view to Pastor Ed. And Pastor Ed hadn't got the message across yet, yes or no. It was still in transition of, is he happy with this or is he not happy with this? Does he, this guy, should he be baptized like this? Are we committing some erroneous uh, theology? Are we... Is this the unforgivable sin? God forbid, in the building of Hatfield, there will be lightning for sure. So let's get this right. But this cameraman walks across as the pastor's looking to Pastor Ed and the other steering committee, steering committee guys, looking at his direction. And he puts him in the water, and then this cameraman's there. So he's doing, he's doing this, and he's trying to, and he's, he's like, no, no, uh, what's going so, and eventually this guy comes out of the water and he goes, once is enough, once is enough, once is enough. <laughs> True story. Hey, Joy, you might even remember that. Because in the back in the days of you and Herman were there. Ah, oh, there's a step. Anyway, where was I? A church just went all wacko on doctrine and ch- this group did it like this and this did it like that and these are- Man, why couldn't we just keep it simple? Read Romans 6 and say, when you go into that water, you are co-crucified. You are co-buried. You're going to be co-resurrected. And then we see in the book of Acts, there are seven, beg your pardon, there are seven occasions where I'll go through them quickly. We've seen Peter on the day of Pentecost. Acts 2 verse 37. What shall we do? Repent and be baptized. Then we see Philip. After the persecution of Stephen, the church scatters and Philip meets people in Samaria and Simon the sorcerer is very impressed with the miracles that he's doing and 
it says they were all baptized. Then we go a bit further and we see the Holy Spirit says to Philip, go to the road in Gaza, which now we know exactly where Gaza is. eh? Go along the road of Gaza and you'll find an Ethiopian who's representing the Queen Candace, who's a very senior official. And as Philip is obedient to this and catches up to a chariot, that's got to be a miracle in itself, the Ethiopian is reading from the book of Isaiah. And he's reading, you know, he will be, uh, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Surely, you know, he bore our peace and by his stripes. And he says to, to, to Philip, who's this talking about? And it says, Philip then showed him Jesus from the scripture. Wow. These guys had had 40 days top quality training. And then uh, uh, the Ethiopian says, there's a whole lot of water over there. What prevents me from being baptized? Notice he didn't say, so can I pray the sinner's prayer? He didn't even say, "Um, so what must I do? He just got it. He understood the gospel and he knew when he saw the water, he said, I'm going to do it right now. What's hindering me from being baptized right now? Those were the first Gentiles, the Samaritans, who were half Gentile, half Jew, to be baptized. And then we see Saul is on the road to Damascus. There's a bright light. He didn't fall off his horse, like some people think, but he fell on the ground, bewildered. And at the same time, God speaks to a believer in Joppa called Ananias, I think, and, uh, 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 and says to Ananias, go down to this road, this street, there'll be a man there called Saul. He goes, he collects him, he shares the word with him, shares the meal with him, and it says, Paul is baptized. Peter's on top of a roof, praying, still understanding Jesus as a part of Judaism, and still, you know, they were still working out the gospel in that part of the book of Acts. That's why they thought they had to go to the temple to pray. But besides that, so now Peter's on the roof, and this blanket comes down out of heaven, the sheet, lands where he's praying, and there's crayfish and calamari and frogs' legs and, and a fowl and tripe and onions, and uh, oxtail, bacon. Oh, whoa. I mean, he like looks at this and he says, Never, Lord! Holy Spirit says, get up and eat. Tries arguing again. By now, God has spoken to a man called Cornelius, who's now come all the way on divine command, to bring Peter back to his village to share a message. Peter's like set up. Have you ever felt like you've been set up for something? Or have you ever sat in a meeting thinking, I'll bet you the pastor designed that just to speak to me? No one. Have you ever heard the pastor preach and you went, I bet you he was thinking of me when he prepared that sermon. Come on, come on. Just one of you? Maybe two of you? Well, He didn't, okay? 
So this is a big setup. I mean, yes, Peter, on the, yes, Cornelius. He goes to Cornelius' house. He starts talking about this revelation that God says, whatever I've called clean, don't call unclean. The people cry out. What do they do? They baptized. Paul then goes on his vision, uh, journeys rather, and he's in Ephesus and he needs to go and pray. So it says they went to go find a place of prayer. They didn't go to the temple now. They just went to go find a place. Starting to understand and grow. But isn't it nice that they went to go find a place? Do you find some places work better than others? Oh, for me, don't lock me up in an office and say, now pray. I'm like, I've got like writer's block, prayer block right there. You know, put me, put me out on, in the open land, country. Put me near the beach. Put me in the garden. So they went to go find a place to pray. They met this woman by the name of Lydia. They explained the gospel to her. It says she and her family were baptized. He stays there preaching the gospel. Lots of people get saved. They start burning all their witchcraft books. They come under persecution. There's a riot. And Paul and Silas are worshiping in the middle of the night, black and blue and bleeding from their beatings. An earthquake shakes the place. The Roman centurion is about to commit suicide. I nearly said suicide. Know that? But be careful what you say. About to commit suicide, and Paul says, "Don't. We, we all here. You say." And he invites Paul and them into his home. Paul shares the gospel, and what does it say? The jailer and his whole house believed and were baptized. I mean, you can't, you can't get enough of this. Paul is then rejected at the synagogue in Ephesus. He decides to dust his feet off, go next door where Titius' house was, unfortunate name, and Crispus. Crispus, was the, Crispus says that Crispus was the synagogue leader. So he gets kicked out of the synagogue, but he's now in the synagogue's house. Synagogue leader's house. And it says they believed and they were all baptized. Now I'm just taking you through seven accounts in Acts. Two from Peter, two from Philip, and three from Paul. I'm coming to my conclusion now. Muslims understand this better than we do. We've had some Muslim friends. They could come and share Christmas Day with us. Eat the turkey. Pop the cracker. Put on the hat. You know? Sit around a tree and open presents. They don't have a clue what we're doing. Oh, nor do I. But anyway, so, you know, we're celebrating our faith. Christmas! You know, they could even come to a church service. They would even come and sit here. Smile. But the day they baptized, their family cut them off. The day they go through with baptism, they've made a statement that the Ishmael that was born, or the Seah that was born, or the 
Muhammad that was born has died. He's no longer here. And you know that the Muslims have a funeral over him and they mourn him and they will never speak to him again. They will treat him like a ghost. I think Muslims have got a better understanding of baptism than we do. Now, I say all this and you think, well, you know, you're preaching to the choir. Yeah. You know, I needed something far more um, meaty this morning than a teaching on baptism. Well, it wasn't for you only. It was for you. Because I want to get you excited about your baptism again. <laughs> but I think this is one of the most powerful tools we have when we can say to people, you know, at our church we baptize. We put people under water. Can I explain why we do it? It's far less aggressive than will you go to heaven when you die? Or if you get hit by a truck today, you know, where will you go? I mean, but, you know, we, we're having a baptism service in two weeks' time at our church. We're having church at the swimming pool. That should get some attention. We're having church at the swimming pool in two weeks' time and people are going to jump in the water. And you're going to find out why they're jumping in the water. Because we actually are, by the way, the 12th. That's not next Sunday, but the Sunday after. Straight after the morning service, we're going to a nice big swimming pool. We'll have some snacks there. Come and celebrate. Come and party. Bring your friends. And I'm calling you that have never been baptized to come and be baptized. No more excuses. And I'm asking you to speak to your family and say, guess what we're doing at our church? We're having a baptism celebration. And this is not going to be like any old baptism celebration. My friend Pretoria said when he was at this Baptist church that did the baptism, he felt nauseous at the end because they treated it like a little sideshow uh, tokenism. He's, this friend of mine is passionate. He's like, bring it to the front. Tell people what Jesus did for them. He said, you got my attention. Brother. Two weeks time, after the morning service, we are going to migrate down the road in Pantown. And we are going to have a celebration. When your earth life comes to an end, your family and friends will gather to grieve and remember your life. This is fitting and to be expected. But their grieving is for themselves. Your burial happened at your baptism. At your baptism, you ended this life and were graduated into the eternal life. Amen.